Hi, my name is Jill. The Old Testament reading is found in Exodus 16, 1 through 4, and 11 through 12. The whole Israelite community complained against Moses and Aaron in the desert. The Israelites said to them, Oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. There we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Instead, you have brought us out into this desert to starve this whole assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to make bread rain down from the sky for you. The people will go out each day and gather just enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them to see whether or not they follow my instruction. The Lord spoke to Moses. I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will have your fill of bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Tom. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be sure of the fact that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all went through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from a spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. However, God was unhappy with most of them and they were struck down in the wilderness. These things were examples for us. So we won't crave evil things like they did. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Steve. <clears throat> Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in the book of John, chapter 6, verses 30 through 35. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread, bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. Let's remain standing as we pray. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and illuminate our hearts today. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to see more clearly how our hearts and our lives can be aligned with who he is. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're starting a series this morning that will take us all the way up until Easter Sunday. It's our series during Lent, and it's called, Who Do You Say That I Am? So if you were here at the beginning of the service this morning, you heard Pastor Jason lead us in kind of this call and response about that passage, Who Do You Say That I Am? See, Jesus has been an endlessly fascinating figure to human beings. 
In fact, whether you think of him as God or not, the, 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 the person of Jesus has caused endless discussions and disputes and disagreements to say, what do we do with this man? In fact, Time Magazine periodically loves to publish cover stories during Easter and during Christmas about Jesus. And several years ago, they did one on the search for the historical Jesus and what do we now know and all of this stuff. And one feature that they ran in the, in the late 90s, there was a reader that responded and said, does it really matter about the historical Jesus? I mean, certainly there is agreement that this person existed, but we, there's dispute among some people about whether or not we can trust the statements of the gospels and this or that. And so this person said, does it really matter about who Jesus is? Can't we just get on with what Jesus taught? And this is sort of the popular opinion among people that don't receive Jesus or or, or believe as Jesus as God. They sort of say, well, no matter what, he was a good teacher. At the very least, we can put him up there with the Buddha or with Gandhi or whomever. I mean, he had some nice things to say. And won't won't we all be better off if we follow the teachings of Jesus? But here's the trick. The same gospels that give us the teachings of Jesus also give us these extraordinary claims that Jesus made. And so if we want to value the things Jesus taught, we at the very least have to grapple with the claims Jesus made. We can't separate the two and say, well, I like the things he taught, but I don't know about the claims he made. Fair enough, but at least grapple with it. And so during the series, during the season of Lent, we're going to grapple with the I am sayings of Jesus, these, these, these um, occurrences in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am, and this morning it is, I am the bread of life. Now, bread is an interesting thing because just about every society has some version of bread as being the staple part of their diet. You know, there is, of course, bread as we have it, sliced bread, which is a wonder in itself. But then there's also the French bread baguettes. There's another sort of French version of bread in crepes. There's the Mexican version of quote-unquote bread as tortillas. In Malaysia, we had roti, which is this wonderful Indian kind of bread. And then in India, there is naan bread, which is maybe the best bread of all, right? But every culture has some way of saying, here, eat this, but eat this with bread. Bread is kind of the staple. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, there's something very common about this metaphor. There's something very ordinary about this language, something that every person can relate to. He doesn't pick language from the elites of society. He picks the most common thing in the world, bread. But by naming himself the bread of life, he also kind of makes us pay attention to the fact that human beings are hungry beings. That, in fact, for many of these young parents on the stage this morning dedicating babies, they will know the very first time they heard their child cry was because their child was hungry. We're born into this world as hungry beings, born into this world saying, I need something to sustain me. This is why the story of Scripture opens with a commandment about food. And so God sets the man and the woman in the garden. He says, look, here's all of this stuff, all of these trees. Eat from any of it, but oh, don't eat from this. The very first instructions God gives has to do with food. Maybe it's because our life is ordered by the pursuits of our appetites. 
Maybe it's because our life is ordered by the pursuit of our appetites. Whatever the thing is that we hunger for, that we crave, that we want, we're going to align our lives in such a way as to have that. I don't know if you've ever you know, been traveling on a road trip or whatever, and you've, you, know, you pulled out Yelp, the Yelp app, and said, okay, wait a minute, I need to find out where is the best this or that in town, or what cuisine is this place known for, and then taking your crew, whoever's with you, friends, family, on a wild goose chase trying to find the best, you know, this or that. Last summer, uh, my sister was in town with our, with our two nephews, her two boys, and she was convinced that, that when we were up in the mountains somewhere, she was convinced that the best breakfast burritos were in Frisco. And so we had to drive around this mountain, is that the place, is that the place, which is the one, Right? And I'd like to say that that was just her, but the truth is those same genes are in me. I like to find the best of something. So a couple of years ago, Holly and I were attending a conference in New York, and I had heard the stories about Shake Shack. And I thought, I gotta, we got to get to a Shake Shack. This is, the, this is the, the thing, right? The ultimate burger. Someone has done it. They've perfected it. And so we're walking around, and I don't know if your GPS ever does this, but you know, you're kind of, you, you tilt it the wrong way, and it has you going straight, what you think is straight, but it's actually supposed to be backwards because your phone flipped on you, and you're like, wait, 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 where is it? And we're walking like around a square, a little block here, thinking, where is the Shake Shack? And then we found the promised land. <laughs> and we tasted and saw that the Lord was good. Our life is ordered by the pursuit of our appetites. We'll chase things that we're hungry for, right? So John 6 opens with Jesus doing this amazing miracle of feeding the 5,000. And he takes five loaves and two fish and he multiplies it. And the people think this is amazing and they want to make Jesus king by force, John says. That's how good it was. They're like, this is amazing. That guy can make us always full with bread and fish. Let's have him be king. He gets far. Let's make him king by force. And so the disciples slip away in these boats and they go across the sea. And Jesus says, ah, you know, you guys go ahead. I'll catch up to you later. And by catch up to you later, he means I'm going to wait till it's dark and stormy so I can walk on the waters. And he shows up and they're like, oh my gosh, who is it? And he's like, don't be afraid. It's me, Jesus. And like, don't be afraid. Stop scaring us then. Right? And then they end up at Capernaum, and the next morning, this crowd is, is still looking for Jesus, and they say, well, where is this Jesus? We need to find out more. And so they get in boats, and they sail to the other side, and they start arguing with Jesus, and they're like, hang on a minute, we want to work for this bread. We want to have more of what you're offering. And so we pick up the story here in verse 30. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, listen, this is not just kind of a, 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 um, a bored, restless crowd that they're like, oh man, we just want a little more. Here we are now, entertain us. You know, this is not, this is not just the, the, the complaints of a bored group. This is the hope of a desperate people because they're referring to the story of Moses feeding the manna from heaven. Well, what else did Moses do? Moses had delivered them from slavery. And so when they've seen Jesus providing them bread, their heads are spinning and they're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, is Jesus the new Moses? Because if he can give us bread, what else can he do? Can he also deliver us? No, they weren't slaves in Egypt, but they were under oppression in Rome. 
And so when they're saying, wait a minute, Jesus, what other signs can you do? They're basically saying, are you the new Moses? Can you lead us to freedom? And then Jesus says in verse 32, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. This is Jesus' way of saying, don't think that was a one-time act. Don't think it was an aberration. He says, notice the, the verb. Jesus says, my father gives you bread. That's who he is. He's the God who gives bread. And so then they're like, okay, well, if that's who God is, verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. I mean, if that's true, then let it come. Let it rain. Come on. Verse 35, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, there's several things that are remarkable about this statement, but the first is those two words, I am. See, it's easy for us to kind of rush past it here in English, but that phrase in Greek is ego I mean. For anyone around alive in Jesus' day, if they had read or heard the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures in Greek, which many of them had, then there's that other Moses story where Moses was in front of this burning bush and the voice of God speaks and Moses says, who shall I tell them has sent me? And the voice from the fire says, ego I me, I am. And so Jesus stands up and they're, they're saying, well, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The first thought is, wait a minute, what did you just say? Are you equating yourself with the God who gives bread? Jesus goes from being like Moses to being the God who provides bread to being the very bread that God provides. You see the progression of this story. First they think, you're like Moses. Then he's like, no, 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 there's a God who provides bread. And then they're like, are you the God who provides bread? He goes, yeah, but not only that, I'm the bread that God provides. Now those are two different things, and I want us to to park right here and unpack it for a few minutes. What does it mean to see God as the one who gives bread? Let's take the first part of that. Let's assume that Jesus is revealing something about God that they've missed, that this is a God who gives bread. For many of us, we're accustomed to believing that whatever amount of labor you put in, that's the amount of reward you get out, right? If you work this hard, you'll get this. And, and if it doesn't work that way, we get angry. Like, wait a second, I put in this much work, but I'm not getting this much back. And so my labor is proportionate to my reward. That's how this chapter begins with these people saying, Jesus, we want to work for this. What what do we do? How does this work? And Jesus says, the first thing you need to realize is it's not your labor that gives you bread. It's God who gives you bread. Now, I know it's a good thing for a society to reward labor. It's a good thing to have the link between, you know, compensation and investment. All of those are good things. But it can slowly sneak into our hearts this little belief that we are the source. And God warned the people of Israel. They said, look, you're going to get into the promised land. You're going to build houses for yourself. You're going to have gardens. You're going to raise livestock. And then you're going to say, my hand has gotten me this wealth. And God warned them in Deuteronomy. He says, don't let that happen. Remember that in the end, it all came from me. The God who gave you bread by letting it fall from the sky 
is the same God that gives you bread when you're growing it from the ground. Do you see the link here? It's just the same. It's the same source. It's the same God. So Jesus is saying it's the generosity of God that is at the heart of all of this. In fact, many of us become Christians and we bring in this same sort of performance mentality to God, don't we? We're like, God, I, what do I have to do to impress you so that you will do what I want you to do? And our impression of God is not the good father who gives bread. Remember the story Jesus told about that? Our impression of God is an angry God or a miserly God. Either he's angry and so when we say, Lord, I need provision in my life, he says, how dare you? Or he's miserly, and when we say, God, I need you to have, let your grace be over this situation in my life, he says, well, I'd love to help, but I don't have a lot of stuff to go around right now. <laughs> and so we end up living a kind of Oliver Twist Christianity, where, please, sir, might I have some more? <laughs> Hoping that God will do it. And it's revolutionary to say, no, God is good. God is good. He desires to give good gifts. He desires to pray. He is the God who gives bread. Decades ago, Oral Roberts began to preach about this idea that God actually is good. And for us, we're like, oh, isn't that a given? We sing good, good father like every week. You know, of course he's good. But decades ago, it was, it was such a revolutionary claim to say, no, God's not mad. He's good. God's not stingy, he's generous. God is a good God. And that became this most revolutionary claim. Because it counters the very lie of Eden. The lie in Eden is the serpent saying to Eve, Did God, does God really want you to have this? And so all of a sudden, instead of focusing on all of the trees that we can eat from, we begin obsessing about the one thing he says no to. And so I, I don't think you're good. I don't think you want to give bread. I don't think you are the God who gives bread. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, manna from heaven was not an aberration. It's who God is. He's the God who gives bread. But you know what? If we stopped there, we'd run into trouble. Because Jesus doesn't stop with showing God as the God who gives bread. Jesus reveals that he is the bread that God gives. So what does it mean to see Jesus as the very bread that God gives. What does it mean to actually see Jesus differently? Well, first of all, it means we have to reassess what it is we really deeply need most. So anybody who's taken some sort of intro to psych class has, is familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We see the basic survival needs and then security and then social and all. But I like the more recent versions of this that have come out where it says, really, at the heart of it all, what we really all need is Wi-Fi. But, but, then, but then someone realized, now hang on, they're, they're, you can get Wi-Fi anywhere now. So I like the, the most recent cutting edge version of this, which is what we all really need is battery life. <laughs> battery, my phone, I, excuse me, can I plug this in somewhere, right? Because it, without battery, no Wi-Fi, without Wi-Fi, no basic human needs, so. <laughs> but Jesus, when we start to see Jesus as the bread that God gives we start to reassess what it is we really need. 
If God is good and he only gives good gifts and what he gives is Jesus, then all of a sudden I have to think, wait a minute, maybe the problem isn't the gift of Jesus, maybe the problem is my heart is craving something other than Jesus. Now we're starting, wait a minute. So we must see God not only as the provider, but as the provision. We must see God not only as the provider, but also as the provision. You know why? Because when you see God only as provider, we are prone to idolatry. We're prone to idolatry. In fact, the psalmist wrote a song, a prayer about this whole manna from the sky and water from the rock, the whole Exodus thing. It's found in Psalm 78. It was a hit song back in the day. And they said this. It says, they tested God in their hearts, demanded food for their stomachs. They spoke against God. Can God set a dinner table in the wilderness, they asked? True, God struck the rock and water gushed and streams flowed. But can he give bread too? Can he provide meat for his people? And when the Lord heard this, he became furious. And a fire was ignited against Jacob. Wrath also burned against Israel because they had no faith in God, because they didn't trust his saving power And God gave orders to the skies above and opened heaven's doors and rained manna on them so that they could eat. And he gave them the very grain of heaven. Each person ate the bread of the powerful ones. One translation says the bread of angels. God sent provisions to satisfy them. Now if the psalm stopped there, we'd say, what a mighty God we serve. Right? What an awesome God. He sent provisions. Hallelujah. But the psalmist says, and so they ate and were completely satisfied, and God gave them exactly what they had craved, but they didn't stop craving, even with the food still in their mouths. They're saying, God, provide, God, give us, and God's like, fine, I will, I will, I will. And they're like, we want more. That's not enough. What is this stuff? We need more. Paul will write about this to the Corinthians and says, look, they all ate the spiritual food. They all drank this miraculous drink. And then he says, but God was unhappy with most of them. And they're struck down. Why? Verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 10. These things were examples for us so that we won't crave evil things like they did. Don't worship false gods like some of them did. You're saying, hang on a minute, how did we go from believing that God is provider and experiencing his miraculous work as provider to all of a sudden now becoming idol worshipers? You know how? Because your appetites never changed. If your appetites aren't changed, you'll crave the wrong thing and hope God provides it. If your appetites aren't changed, you'll crave the wrong things and then hope that God provides it. God, what I really need is this, 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 this. This is why the good word of people like Oral Roberts who said, oh, God is a good God, the good message of that got twisted over the decades into, I'm going to claim my Lexus. And I'm going to call in my private jet. And I'm going to demand this and that. And I speak this and I claim it. Why? Because all of it, we stopped at seeing God as provider and didn't go all the way down to see Him as the provision. Amen. 
But if you stop at just seeing him as provider, guess what happens? Nothing changes about your appetites. Nothing changes about your desires. And you become like the people of Israel saying, I crave the same thing. And I'm just hoping that God will be a means to my ends. I'm just hoping God will will supply all of my cravings. But nothing actually changed. St. Augustine talked about our desires this way. He said, sin is not just desiring the wrong things. Often it's desiring the right things wrongly. Have you ever had an appetite run out of control that it made you do crazy things? Don't answer that. <laughs> Feel free to elbow the person. No, just don't do that either. And all of a sudden, something, that you know, this is a good desire. Now, I've never seen the TV show, but I've been told this is what Breaking Bad is all about. The desire to provide for your family all of a sudden leads a good person down a difficult and dark road. Why? Because something good was elevated above everything else. And so the pursuit of a good thing led you down down dark roads because it became the ultimate craving. Listen, friends, this is how we get caught as church people. It's not usually because you're craving things that are outright evil, but it's that you're craving good things more than you should. You've put them as the highest good in your life. You've said, my family is the bread of life, and therefore, whatever it takes to make my family happen, and I will be rude and and controlling, and I'll do all this because I've got to make them perfect because my family is the bread of life. Or someone else's companionship, intimacy. Intimacy is the bread. I need intimacy, and I'm not in a relationship right now, so I'll take intimacy wherever I can find it, even if it means artificial intimacy like pornography. But you said intimacy is the bread of life, and so I'm going to try to find it in false ways. When your appetites are not rightly ordered, you'll pursue good things in the wrong ways. I had a moment like this. Well, I have frequent moments of conviction, but maybe the most dramatic one for me came about 11 years ago or so, where I realized that somehow subconsciously along along the way, I thought it was God's job to make my ministry dreams come true. I never would have said that. But you know when you know it? You know it when things fall apart. Once things fall apart, then all of a sudden you're like, "Mm, God, and look, I believe in laments. I think all of that is, is part of our intimacy, our relationship with God, absolutely. But somewhere along the way, it's also an invitation for God to say, you are overly distraught about this because you were hoping that would be the bread of life. You're overly shattered by the loss of this or that because you thought that he was your bread or she was your bread or that job was your bread, but they are not the bread that satisfies. When you see God, not only as provider, but also as provision, your appetites have begun to change. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and you say, thank God, because that is what I'm longing for, then you know something is changing inside of you. 
Now, I'm not ignoring physical needs. The gospel, the, 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 James writes in his letter, we can't say to the homeless person, hey, be warm, be felt, God, God bless you. We can't, I'm not ignoring physical needs. But I'm saying that at the core of who we are, what we really need is Jesus. What we really crave is Jesus. By the end of John chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, whoever does not eat my flesh and drink my blood will have no part of what I'm doing. And all of the crowds that were wanting to make him king by force are all of a sudden really grossed out and offended. And they're like, oh, okay, we, we got to go. And they all leave. Look at the time. You know? And Jesus says to his disciples, are you guys going to leave too? Is this it? Is this the end of the road? And Peter says the phrase that I've come back to time and time again in my relationship with the Lord. Peter says, to whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of life. I've been privileged to know many of the stories of pain in your lives. Different ones of you have shared experiences with me. And it is the most beautiful thing in the world where someone says, you know, I've had this fall apart, this fall apart, this. But you know what? I haven't walked away from Jesus. You know why? Because where else am I going to go? Where are where else am I going? I couldn't imagine this. I wouldn't have chosen my life story to include this. I wouldn't have wanted this child. I wouldn't have wanted this to happen to my family, to my marriage, to my business, to my children. I wouldn't have wanted any of those things. But, but I'm not walking away. Why? Because in the end, this is the only place where bread is. To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of life. Crowd asked Jesus, What kind of work must we do to get this kind of bread? And Jesus said very simply, Believe. Believe in the one who sent me. A couple days ago on Ash Wednesday, when people lined up here to repent before the Lord, we marked their foreheads with this phrase. We said, Repent and believe the gospel. Church, this is the message of every sermon. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus alone is the bread of life. Would you bow your heads this morning?